that's what we're going to talk about. But I, I start thinking about what does that phrase mean? Uh, I, I think in you know, common understanding that would be people would leave fearful, and that's not that's not what it means at all. Uh, last time we talked about fear, and this time I'm going to just spend the whole time talking about the, the fear of God and how there there are some similarities there, but uh, but there are differences. And the differences are, are uh, large. Um, but when I talked about fear, uh, I, I, I said that the, I, we talked about the, the source of fear, that uh, there's a top floor, a bottom floor, and in the top floor where we're, we do our thinking and planning and we think abstractly. Uh, so we're, we're we humans have this really big cortex, maybe thirty percent of our brain, and uh, uses a disproportionate amount of energy uh, compared to the rest of the body. As we think a lot and being able to think about the future, uh, often we can become very negative about the future, and uh, and fear. Uh, we can imagine things that will never happen. Uh, and this causes us to be fearful. And the Bible addresses that a lot. Uh, God says, that, you know, I am your shield, and I am always with you. And uh, Peter, uh, in one of his letters, says, do not fear anything that can be feared. So we have good reason not to um, be fearful, to live fearful lives. Um, we, uh, uh, we have good reason. And the Bible is a great source of comfort in, in the face of fear. A little bit of fear is necessary to, to uh, respond to real dangers, but we, this, so many imagined dangers or exaggerated dangers that we do not have to fear that much. And uh, the other source of fear is our amygdala, that almond-shaped piece in the middle bottom of our brains. And that learns from experience. But it's also a source of fear, uh, that sort of instant fear that we respond to um, when we hear a lot of noise behind us or, or something like that. Uh, but that learns from experience. And I, and I said, we need to experience the love of God, to really experience it and, and live our lives in that and, and relearn, um, learn that and maybe relearn uh, if, if we approach the world with fear or aggression. Okay. So we're going to talk here about the fear of God. If you were to Google fear of God, uh, on the front page, you'd see this. Okay. Some, a, a hoodie uh, or a whole set of fashion. Um, and if you've never seen one of these, there, there could be a reason for that. It's, it's only uh, $1,200. Uh, but you could, you could get, the cheapest thing I saw was uh, this silk scarf for $600. So, uh, but... It's, so it's odd how this phrase is thought of outside of scripture, or the distortion of that, uh, the fear, the fear of God. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the fear of God and what that means. And, and the word reverence, we, we know that word, and that's what we think of when we think of the fear of God. Uh, and the definition is a feeling or attitude of profound respect with awe, veneration, honor, worship. And so, so you may um, 
have had an earthly experience like that, seeing something beautiful, uh, or you know, maybe your you know, first child being born, or, or there, there is, it, I think it's possible that, uh, I know it's possible that we, we, can fear, we can feel awe or reverence for something other than God, because we have that ability to have that, that feeling. And for me, this experience happened, uh, I had some chance to travel uh, for work when I was working full time. And this is a, a mountain, in, mountain range in Northern India, part of the Himalayas called Kanchanjanga. That's the third highest range in the world. And just standing there, even 40 miles away where I took this picture, it, was, it just filled the sky. And it was, it was awesome. And you could stand for a couple hours and you have a couple hours, maybe from 5 to 7 a.m. before the clouds cover it, to just stand and, and stare at it. And you, and you get this, this sense of, of, uh, of awe. And it, it made me understand how mountains like this might be worshipped um, and people will truck in 40 miles to get closer to that mountain. But uh, it, it's possible to have that feeling, even from an earthly experience. Uh, and so we think of words, like what, what kinds of words, other words that can be used to describe um, reverence or awe. And, and here are some words I have thought of and, and uh, feelings I've experienced is, is majesty uh, or admiration, uh, maybe a sense of astonishment. And, and being in the presence of power, you're seeing these, these mountains ahead of you. And if you were closer than 40, mi you know, 40 miles, like I was, just being in the presence of that, that, if, that power uh, or amazement or glory or homage, or, or maybe wonder and, and a sense of being it's something overwhelming, the, the beauty of it being overwhelming, you can't take your eyes off. And, and so it's possible to be in the presence of, a, of nature or a work of art, and you just can't take your eyes off of it. Or, or I remember this experience, having to turn away just for a moment because it was just so overwhelming and beautiful. And maybe mystery and, and the sense of transcendence, uh, or maybe just a loss of words entirely. Now apply that to, to God. And I know each of us here has, that, has had that experience. That the reverence, so reverence for God. And so when we talk about the fear of God, this is what we're talking about. A sense of awe and majesty and astonishment and transcendence and, and maybe uh, a loss for words altogether. So this is what we mean by experiencing the fear of God. So if I can instill a little bit of this, that would be good. That would be good. Sometimes it's helpful to think of what is the opposite. And I, I did that with fear last time when we, we talked about fear, uh, you know, trembling type of fear, phobic type of fear. Uh, a number of people offered something, you know, confidence or, or peace. Um, but think of some other words, some, some words that are the opposite of, of reverence, just to help us understand this concept. Um, despising or ignoring or being hard-hearted, like, 
but not these things that we I just talked about in the previous slide, uh, or contempt, or disobedience to God, contempt for God, disobedience for God, and arrogance before him, and indifference, or an indifference. And this is the problem with the world today, is that we have, there's a God, there is a creator, there, there's creation, so I assume there's a creator. That's the best explanation at this point. And if there's a creator, um, and we can just kind of cascade from there, does he care about his creation? Does he want to communicate with his creation and so forth? I think that's the best evidence is for that. But to be indifferent towards that, or to ignore it, or to be arrogant before it, or contemptuous of God, this is, this is a problem of our time. So this, this word fear, uh, there's, there are of course Hebrew words in the Old Testament and a Greek word in the New Testament. We would recognize this word as phobos, okay? The word we use for phobia. And they, and they both mean fear, uh, just as we would use that in common language. And I, I may have mentioned last time, uh, I had the police car there, and an immediate reaction, he pulls in behind you and immediate, you know, my stomach jumps. Well, some Hebrew person a uh, long, long time ago as that language was developing, so how do I describe this? It's like, oh, my stomach. Okay, so it, it's the root of that means a flowing of the gut, okay? that, kind of, that kind of fear. And a couple of verses, um, I heard your voice in the garden, Adam said, and I, and I feared because I was naked and hid myself. And in Hebrews describing the, the episode at Sinai with Moses and God on the mountain. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So this is that one definition of, of fear that we talked about last week. Uh, but the, the, same, the very same word in the Old Testament is using it in the New Testament. It's the very same word. You will fear or it will be translated often as revere. You will revere Yahweh, your Elohim, your God, and, and serve him. So to fear and to serve, that's an interesting idea. Or who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Fear and glorify. This kind of fear that, that also would lead me to glorify God. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. That a kind of fear that would, would lead to worship. So there's something in common here and there's something different. But it, it, the fact is that the, <clears throat> the same word is used in, in the Old Testament for both of these ideas, a terror type fear and a reverence type fear, and also in the New Testament. So, so let's, I think it's worth exploring what's in common. What's in common between these two concepts that the writer would use the same word to describe terror and reverence. Okay. And so this is where I think they overlap, is, is a trembling in the presence of, of something fearful, either, either one, uh, a trembling or a, or a shrinking back from it, uh, or feeling overwhelmed. So we talk about fight, flight, and the third word is freeze. Sometimes that is a, a reaction. The fear is to freeze, being, being overwhelmed in, in the presence. 
uh, be uh, submissive to it or, or maybe just a loss for words and be silent. And, and both of these types of fear can cause this. Uh, and I, so I think that is the overlap of trying to understand the fear of God. What is the fear of God? So fearing God for I was in terror. Okay, so this type of fear, this phobic fear, fearing God for I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. Job said this. So Job said some good things and some bad things, but I think this is one of the good things. This is, this is what he's experiencing, and God is about to show up in the next chapter. Right? But this is the kind of fear Job is talking about at this moment. And something over 40 years ago, when I became a Christian, when I was in college, that first year of college, and uh, although I grew up uh, with a good education on what is sin, and a sense for that, as I was getting to be that age and getting more involved in sin. Uh, but also still believing in heaven and hell and God and a growing sense of my life is heading in the wrong direction, but I like these things. And, and God was calling me uh, and convicting me of my sin. And there was uh, one night at home between semesters Christmas break, uh, I shouldn't say one night, this went on for a number of nights, where I, I just thought, if Jesus showed up right now, I would be blown into pieces, right? Because I knew um, for the first time in my life that there is heaven and there is hell, and there is God, and he cares about right and wrong, he cares about holiness, and, I, and I'm on the wrong side of that equation. And then I felt this kind of fear you can't stay in this position very long. You can't live your life like that. And you have to either, I think, decide, you know what, none of this is true. I don't believe in that anymore to do that. Or you can decide, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Christ. I, I'm gonna, and the sense I had is I need a savior. I need somebody to change me and take away this sin. I need a savior. But this is the kind of terror I, I felt for a brief period, and I think you can only feel that a brief period before you have to change your mind about something. And the other fear of God, <clears throat> when the crowd saw it, when Jesus healed the paralytic, they were afraid, and they glorified God. They were afraid, and phobic, they were phobic, but, but it led to glorifying God, to see what authority he had over, over men, and illness and nature, being in presence of that power, it was, was scary, but it's not, it wasn't, it's not the fear in the other verse. But to fear God in this Job 31 way, would, what is the reaction? Right? It would be to cower and to avoid and, and maybe just try not to believe in that anymore. It, it, that's the kind of response that fear would give. We would, when we're in face of that fear, we want to run away. Or, uh, and we have that ability to respond that way. And that's a good thing, but, but this would lead to, I don't want to be near that, I have to get away. While this type of fear is, is uplifting somehow, it's it, it inspiring and it challenges us. And it attracts us 
because we are, we are in the presence of something transcendent, something much greater and powerful, more powerful than we are, but, some, but, it, but it attracts us instead of causing us to cower and flee. So there's something similar between these two types of fear, but there's something very, very different as well. And there are dozens of verses, <clears throat> just pick a few. Uh, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So they find that the tomb is empty, that Lord Jesus is no longer in his grave. And it, and it creates a, a fear, but one with joy. So what is that? Okay. I mean, that, that is a, an awe. Uh, so we can experience joy with this type of fear, the reverence fear. Um, fear sees them all and they glorify God. This type of, in the presence of something awesome, right, and causing joy and worship, um, and, and just uh, Mark 10, being amazed. Jesus was walking ahead of them and, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. So it's a kind of fear that, that attracts us and causes us to follow. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Delighting in, in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so that's what this fear is like. That's what this fear is like. And, then, and when Psalm 19 says this, that the fear of the Lord is clean. I mean, what a great description. To, to, to be in that presence of that kind of... Uh, power and, and uh, beauty is, to, is it helps, it makes me feel clean. And, and that was the experience I had ultimately when I, when I gave my life to Christ. So I need to follow this. And, and a sense of when our sins are forgiven, a sense of feeling clean in the power of this holy, in the presence of this holiness. C.S. Lewis says this, not a fear that one feels for a tiger or even a ghost, rather the fear of one filled with awe in which you feel wonder and a, and, a, and a certain shrinking or a sense of inadequacy to cope with such a visitant. There's a fear that comes forth out of love for the Lord. And so maybe, maybe this is a way of describing it. The sense of vulnerability, which we normally do not like to have, but with safety. And my sin is exposed in a, to his holiness, but I feel safe. And, and I'm grateful and I'm attracted to that because it makes me feel clean. And, uh, it, it, and it's just awe-inspiring. So then, or, or there's a loss of words. Try to do that and then run out of words quickly. So the, this other side of, of the fear of God is, is, I think it also raises some hard questions. And I wanna address that just briefly uh, because that's, uh, it, because it, the subject is so deep that we, we, in the end here, will only scratch the surface. But I would encourage you to, to dig more deeply into this concept of the fear of God. And we'll look a little bit at it. 
Um, but there's some hard questions raised by this topic of the fear of God. Partly because it's misunderstood uh, by the world. Like, why would you fear God? So they're not beyond the either the sweatshirt or the instill fear, run out of the church screaming type of fear, which is not what we're talking about. But there are hard questions that are also answered by knowing the fear of God. Uh, the end of last year, uh, when lots of people were coming to church, there was a young lady uh, who came to Cedarcroft who uh, lives abroad and visits her family once in a while. And, um, and so, and I've gotten to know her over the years. And so she sat next to me and the, and the, the preacher uh, that week spoke about this, this passage, Genesis chapter 22. And uh, just one verse from there, and he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay, so we know that story, that uh, Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. And that was a little confusing, because Isaac was supposed to be the heir and such. But, um, but uh, Abraham did it. He was willing to do it, and but God stopped him. Okay. And so after the message, she turns to me and she says, "What kind of God would do this?" And that's that's a good question. It's a, it's a really good question. And I did not have a quick answer. I, mean, I had a long answer, but I didn't have a quick answer. But what what kind of God would do this? Put a put a father uh, through this. Later in the afternoon, I came up with my short answer. A serious one. A serious God. And there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that, that you could ask this question, what kind of God would do this? The, the um, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, that Moses and Aaron didn't go into the promised land because of sin or Achan, or, I mean, we, you could name any, any, there are dozens, again, there are dozens. So what kind of God would do this? And, and the answer is a serious God. So what's going on? Either God is severe and exacting and arbitrary and, and just over the top in his judgment. And he takes Ananias and Sapphira out for not giving all the money for the property that they sold. They gave some of it, they gave, maybe they gave most of it. What's, what is that about? Okay, or Moses can't go into the promised land, so he died before that. Or any number of, any number of episodes. Or, or there, there is a deeper understanding of God and his holiness that we do not appreciate. And obviously that, that is the answer. But we, we do have to, we have to, we have to understand the fear of God. We have to appreciate God's holiness and try to understand these episodes. Now, we, um, if we had one more hour, we could go through a couple of those carefully. Uh, and, and, uh, but we, we know people uh, in the world, some of them previously identifying themselves as Christians, 
who have stumbled over this question here. What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would allow suffering in the world, any suffering in the world? Or what kind of God would be that harsh and exacting uh, in this episode? Or, or as the you know, nation of Israel uh, took hold of the promised land. What about that stuff? What kind of God would do that? And, and that issue is not hidden. It's in every book of scripture. Uh, so this is not something the Bible is shy about because it, it, it's part of a, uh, a full understanding of God and, and the fear of God. Because there is a, a deeper understanding of his holiness that we need to have. But also a poor understanding of sin. So, so first of all, the, the cost of pardoning sin. <coughs> Uh, just um, past the, the Day of Atonement that, uh, that the Jews celebrate. Uh, and if you look at Leviticus 16, which um, you go down that chapter and the, the amount of sacrifice that had to be done in, in each year uh, in the, that time of, of Israel's history, uh, it's like, this is, this, this is, overwhelming amount and and the thought was this takes care of this year and this has to be done every year plus all of the other sacrifices that have to be done that it, it gives some sense for what it takes to um to to pay for sin to pardon sin the the bloodshed and it, and it really wasn't enough it's just a placeholder the cross of christ on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, and an eternal being dying, and, and he himself had no sin. So why did he have to die? This is a question I had when I was young. Like, well, why did he have to die? Well, he had to die because we can't do enough good in order to make up for our sin. We need a savior. We need somebody to pay for our sin and the sin of the world, and and that God had to do that himself, that the, the cost of pardoning sin and, and trying to appreciate that. God uh, can't be trifled with or presumed upon and sin can't just be swept under the rug. Oh, like, don't worry about that, no big deal. Okay. You can't presume that, oh God, he doesn't care about sin. Matthew Henry said this uh, uh, as a commentary on one of these passages, uh, what appears to us as harmless or at least but a small offense may be great sin in the eye of God because we don't understand it. Um, I'll leave it there because I have a little trouble reading the screen there, but you can, you can see it, right? And that's the point, right? He sees into the heart of, of people and, and sees what the motivations really are, what the selfishness is behind every sin, even if it appears to us like, oh, that's little, or that's not looking at. So that's, <clears throat> so I think that's a good insight to draw us to just a better understanding of sin is that God sees things. And Achan, who just wasn't that over the top to punish him and his family, but Achan agreed. 
and the end he agreed he confessed and agreed uh, and then god understood what was going on there and it was at a critical time in israel's history and he was just and also a poor understanding of god so god knows what is good for us so in Joshua, as they're trying to take the land, uh, he says that you, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among them. You, you cannot live your life in, in victory as a believer unless sin is dealt with. He, this is gonna interfere with that. It, so he, God understands sin and, and sometimes we don't understand God or a lack of understanding of the, of, this is Paul's phrase in Romans, like the goodness and severity of God. There is a goodness and a severity to God. God is loving, that's true, he is love. God is love, right? just almost by definition. But also God is light, also by definition. And he is holy and he, and he cares about right and wrong. And he cares about us involved with both right and wrong. And, and he has a clear understanding of it. And fear, anger, and love, that was the amygdala, right? That almond-shaped piece, fear, anger, and love are, are all tools that God uses to guide us. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with fear or anger, but unless they're, but they can be misguided and exaggerated. And, and God's love for us, they're all tools he uses. And a lack of experience with him, <clears throat> this is how we finished last week, a lack of experiencing him, this amygdala love um, and his goodness, okay, even when we can't understand his holiness or his justice. And I think this is one, this is one of the problems that's happening right now uh, with some in the church. If, when they walk away from the, their faith is yes, they're, they're, God is holy, and uh, sin is sin, and and uh, and the focus on that, um, in the absence of the goodness of God and just the severity. If I'm not experiencing God's goodness every day or consistently, then when I have to also understand His severity, um, this this is when people walk away. I don't understand that. But the, the goodness of God and, and also his severity and balance, this is the fear of God. Understanding the fear of God is, is the beginning of understanding and wisdom. So I need, I need also that experience. And a number of people I've talked to who have walked away from their faith because they don't understand, well, why is there suffering? Um, also, would reveal that I haven't really had a devotional life. I haven't really had the you know, good experiences with God for some time now. So either not understanding this about God or, or not accepting this about God. Um, but, but I ask the question then, well, what kind of God is that? You, you, you don't accept his, his justice and his righteousness and his holiness, because it doesn't match with your sense of justice and righteousness. 
Okay? So you would be comfortable with a God that, that matches your sense of justice and righteousness. I mean, sometimes, I mean, with the idea we are made in the image of God, sometimes God is made in our image. And what kind of God is that, that I would be comfortable with him all the time? If I'm comfortable with God all the time, I, I think I have a mis- I don't have a good understanding of God. I don't have a full understanding of God. And there are some things I am uncomfortable with in the Bible and with God. And it doesn't surprise me. I won't tell you what they are. But um, that doesn't surprise me. If God is really God, I should be uncomfortable with him, even as a Christian. If I'm not uncomfortable, then there's something, I, I, I probably should check that. So what kind of God would that be if I was comfortable all the time? And we, we talked about God as creator. There is, there's creation, and there, that means there's a creator. And the, the person who could create this world, this universe, and our brains and our bodies, and the complexity of that, and knew how all those things work, and created the laws of nature, he, he has a really good mind. And I, I need to humble myself before that. Um, can you find, so far didn't say a lot of good things, but this was pretty good. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts and your thoughts. Right? So I have to be humble before this God. And, and that's part of me responding to, to him in, in fear and reverence. But it's attractive too. This is an interesting situation that the Northern Kingdom of Israel, uh, this version refers to, but this is, this is a concern uh, all times. This is a concern for our time. Right? So they, Israel, feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. They feared other gods. They feared their God. They feared, feared Yahweh, but they also feared, or they served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away by the culture around them and the beliefs of others. And what happened is their children did likewise, and their children's children did likewise. So this is a concern uh, when we don't fear God and fear him alone. So I want to talk just for a couple minutes about, about how we fear God. Uh, because from all of this, I, I, if I've instilled a little bit of fear of the Lord in you, in this way, right? That we want to know, well, how, how do I fear? How do I fear God? I, I, I want to uh, fear God more, and I want to experience that. Um, so we fear God through obedience and trusting him and serving him. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. And now Israel, uh, 
What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to be obedient to him? To fear him is to be, to be obedient, to love him, and to serve him. Those are ways of fearing God. We, we fear God through, through justice and through goodness. Because he is just and he is good. So being like him in those ways, you shall not wrong one another. But you will fear your Lord, or you will, but you will fear your God. So you see how these verses are, are uh, juxtapositioning these two ideas, right? Do not wrong another, but fear God. And the devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people. I fear God through being generous to others. I fear God by, by turning away from evil and pursuing wisdom. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and, and turn away from evil. This is how I fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's the other side of it. I mean, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When I fear God, I can begin to get knowledge and wisdom. But those who hate God, they do not choose the fear of the Lord. They, you could say, they hate knowledge. They're moving in their own direction. And so let me just conclude with this. I think what Alan said at the beginning of uh, the Lord's Supper, um, and, and this thought, and from Malachi, agree, that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This will be really interesting to see. Uh, I guess in Heaven's Library, like, I want to see that book that's, that was written, that while those who feared God spoke with one another in his presence. I want to see what was written. And that will be really, really interesting. Okay. Let's pray. Yeah. Lord God, uh, we, we, want to, we want to fear you more. We want to reverence you and to hold you in that high respect, uh, venerate you, we, Lord, we want knowledge. Uh, we want to feel clean. Uh, Lord, we want to understand you better um, and experience your transcendence. So Lord, help us to, each of us here, to submit to that and uh, to submit to you and to serve you and to love you and to, to be more like you in, our, in justice and in love, generosity. Amen. Amen. Great job.